Welcome to DTX Equals, where thought leaders in digital therapeutics put a stake in the ground about what makes DTX DTX. With me today is Anish Shindore, formerly of Biogen and Sanofi, now managing partner of GSD Health and an investor in digital therapeutics. Anish, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So I think my life sciences career has been published quite a bit, but in short, I like to I like to work on the convergence point of science and technology. That's where I've been thriving the most within health tech and biopharma partnerships. Uh, after a really good run in pharma and with a lot of respect to all that I learned uh, at the pharmaceutical companies that I worked for, um, now I have a small boutique consulting company uh, which basically provided services to startups, to investors, and to pharmaceutical companies who want to or who wish to know more about digital health, digital therapeutics, and, and helping them, hand-holding them actually, and bringing them, uh, them onto this journey. So, so that's what I try to do. And, uh, and yeah, I'm really happy to be here with Akesha. I'm excited to dig in, let's do it. So first up, what's a formative event in your life or career that influenced your path into DTX? I think uh, a lot of things happened by chance, right? Um, I was at Sanofi and through organizational changes, things, things happened. But at the same time, I think what really pushed the agenda uh, on the digital therapeutics for me was having a really fancy title at a big pharmaceutical company and COVID hit and I felt useless at home, uh, literally. And that kind of pushed a little bit like, okay, what am I really doing over here? Because as soon as things shut down, uh, you're left uh, in, a, in, a, in a question mark mode of uh, how can you now add value from a society perspective, community perspective, and also for the company that's actually paying my check. So, so, so that became uh, a little bit of a low point, but at also a very high point where I was like, okay, if there is so much that technology is teaching us, why can't actually invest yourself a little bit more through resources, through finances, through time, and through energy, uh, and see how we can do it. And that's that that uh, March of 2020 was the moment when everything was shutting down. That pushed me to go a little bit deeper into what digital therapeutics is and uh, and how I could support it. So you know you you have the unique ability to speak from the pharma perspective because you spent a lot of time there, but also from the perspective of an investor and also from the perspective of somebody who's consulting on the commercial side. So um, from those you know any combination of those three things to you like DTX equals what like what is the most defining issue in DTX today? Um, I think we haven't arrived at the point where. Uh, personally, and again, there's branding associated with DTX equals, but uh, in order for DTX to be equal, a lot of things need to happen, right? So when I look at uh, digital therapeutics, today we have uh, at least positive speculation of technology being potentially uh, a cure solution uh, for, for individuals, but that has not resonated across all areas of healthcare today. You look into Ministry of Health or you look into policymakers, policy designers, uh, that sentiment hasn't stuck in yet. Remote patient monitoring, on the other hand, I think has got a little bit of boost over the last years. But DTX equals for me would be uh, we stop talking about digital therapeutics in general. We start talking about therapeutics that include technology as a component that has an endpoint that is curing a patient or actually helping them throughout their journey. That would be for me that moment where we start saying like, okay, DTX is equal 
but again, without saying DTX, of course. So, so it should be a therapeutic outcome that we should be looking into rather than delving too much on the, on the terminologies that we use today. No, that's true. And, and it's interesting because, you know, at least on my side, I've been doing a lot of work in medical device more generally and discovering there are a lot of things that, you know, Absolutely. are happening and you could call them a DTX, but nobody is. And, and there are reasons why sometimes you don't want to call what you're doing a DTX. So Absolutely. it's an interesting concept. There's all kinds of stuff out there that, um, you know, could be under that umbrella and may or may not want and, to be And look at France, umbrella. right? What has France done with their regulatory pathway? Uh, they, they've chosen very smart wording, calling it digital medical devices rather than going into therapeutic devices or anything else, because they see it as almost like a crawl, walk, run approach that let's introduce. Everybody knows about medical devices. Everybody knows the usage and application of medical devices now. And, and for the ones who are in the field, we know there is a digital component to it already, but making sure that that kind of technology is now available on your start, smartphone on a consumer device is what is the big step that they're making, but simplifying the wording, how, you, how they use it. So their version of including something that could be a therapeutic or can have a therapeutic outcome is just by flipping a word and saying, oh, this is a digital medical device. That means it can be in a very consumer uh, oriented scenario as well. So do you think some of these issues that the field of digital therapeutics has been having around adoption in healthcare settings has to do not with the products, but with the lingo or like kind of the way people are talking about it, or is it both? I, I think, I think it's the lack of communicating enough to, um, let's say treatment decision makers and educating them on what exactly these solutions can do right now. Uh, and I'm going to use a very silly example uh, and maybe potentially an irrelevant one, but you look into women's health and you look into the usage of apps and solution that gynecologists have, um, it, uh, you see a big generation gap in people who are prescribing some of these solutions by their own will. There's no prescription solution within the gynecology space, but they are, uh, they are, they are recommending certain solutions uh, uh, to women, uh, women who want to use that. Now, on digital therapeutic side, there is no natural or organic way where education has been coming to some parts of the healthcare system. Let that be the prescribers, let that be the decision makers over there. In the past, if you look into it, right, and we can, we can cut the cake in many different pieces. If we look into policy makers, initially, any treatment advancement that would happen, let's say a pharmaceutical company is taking that, that would be communicated by a, speci a specific team of medical experts that would educate uh, um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, the system about it. When it gets to commercialization, uh, that message is hammered even more at scale on the outcomes that were generated through that clinical files, which potentially changes behavior or, uh, or gives a perspective. If that doesn't happen, then there's continuous medical education that is put in place in order to refresh some of these learnings. Now, that's a big investment that happens through private, uh, publicly traded organization for a specific purpose. If you look at digital therapeutics, and you can look at the example with DIGA, right? What happened with DIGA? Perfect regulatory pathway, great opportunity for reimbursement of your solutions. And even on the data side of things, they put some sort of a framework in place. But one of the issues that they found out was the last mile when it comes to actually prescribing this information, there's no knowledge on the field. 
So the decision maker on that prescription had no first education on it, second, no incentive on it. Uh, but on the other side, we are not managing things the same way. So uh, we, we cannot say that we are on a train, but at the same time, the, the, uh, the, the rail lines, uh, they are not at the same, uh, of the same size. We are, we are doing different things for different areas. And for DTX, we are not making that effort. Unfortunately, we are trained in a way or we've created a society in a way where we have to go through similar processes to make that education available. So I think, I think uh, that is, uh, yeah, that is my point of view on it. But I, I do think there are some companies who are investing in education of these things. Again, you look at FDA, there's a lot of policy being put out, but actually how many uh, solutions go through an FDA approval? Uh, or, or those things, that, that's a big question mark, right? Everybody wants to enter the US market, at least from the European side of things, but how many of them are actually I know. going through that path? What's up with that, Anish? Like, can you exactly. explain that to me? Because I would say in the last, I don't know, six to nine months, nearly everybody that I have been talking to is somebody coming, yeah. coming from Europe to the United States. Like, what happened there? So, so I think I think uh, it's it's that uh, syndrome of uh, whatever the grass is greener on the other side, or in this case, the grass is greener on the other side of the ocean, uh, and it's not true, right? Because they feel so. In the last, th there's a lot of other as other things that had influence that have influenced this to happen. So, first of all, uh, let's go back 2020, right? Germany passes the law. Everybody's excited that we're going to go everybody's market access strategy in Europe became, we're gonna launch in Germany. Excellent, what happened? Adoption, low, prescription, low. And then they were like, okay, let's move into different markets. Let's go to NHS because they are now um, uh, uh, reimbursing some of the digital therapeutic activities. So uh, a shout out to uh, some of the, uh, some of the Gavin and those guys who are helping on the market access piece, they've actually, um, figured out what that process would be. How do you actually work with NICE in order to have the guidelines correctly and then go for the reimbursement uh, route. Uh, but slowly investors started seeing that, hey, you know what? We thought you're gonna be not only revenue making, but this is gonna be a big thing and regulation would have caught up. So the best way uh, a health tech company could show that they are growing and they are gonna be going into bigger markets, making bigger money, is by saying, hey, you know what? We need to expand to US because that's where the money is without even understanding how complex US is, right? How are you going to talk to so many payers? How are you going to work with so many health systems? So, so I personally think it's, uh, it's, it's a way of startups to find a way of survival by giving investors the view that they're going to be, this company is going to be successful only if we go to US. So that's where you see a lot of, and, and because of the private equity market right now, the only way you are able to raise money is not by showing that you have better science or better tech. Everybody's asking for, show me where that this, somebody's actually gonna be paying for this solution. And the only way to do that is geographical expansion. That's one of the reasons why you see a lot of move coming to US, but it is uneducated move, in my opinion. Uh, people are moving too fast without realizing that, hey, you know what, a seed round in US, uh, a seed round in Europe could be of 1.2 million. A seed round in US is normally six to seven million because the cost of creating that, uh, anything, creating anything for that market is really high. Uh, or you are going for commercialization phase. People are not making decisions consciously by actually learning what that market specific is. So that's where you see a lot of things that will decline, Akesha, but what 
I hope is going to happen is people start formulating really robust and mature business plans to understand how different markets work differently and the kind of resource allocation would happen. So these, I, I said a lot of things, but these are the couple of, let's say, dimensions that I see the reason why a lot of European companies are going towards US. It's interesting because like, you're kind of tying back to the theme of, um, you know, actually talking to and educating um, the people you want to be prescribing and utilizing a product. Um, you know, I see that on the the user side as well with, you know, individual patients. It's like, I, I don't know, in the beginning, people were like, ah, this sounds good for patients. Why don't we just do it? And I think yeah. now, um, you know, we're starting to see that uh, investors have, have wised up or have changed. Maybe now they're different people investing that have more knowledge in healthcare. I don't really know, but, um, yeah. you know, it seems like uh, talk to the people you want to use your product yeah. is a central theme of a lot of this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if they're think, not going to use it, what's the point? Exactly. And I think the whole trend on uh, anybody, so, so the trend now is that any solution that you have, if you mention LLM or prompt interface or chat GPT in it, uh, that's how, and, and I know, I, I won't say the name of the VC, but they, they, they literally play bingo on how many times these words are repeated uh. AI and stuff like that. And I want to hang like, with okay. those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I will introduce you to them, but uh, so so they it's it's uh, unfortunately, and I and I feel bad to say it because uh, it's bec it became a joke on anybody and everybody positioning them as a digital therapeutic company to raise that extra uh, dollar amount or to put, uh, or to have a different kind of a, a kind of evaluation, which was very sad, and that's where a lot of people got disappointed, derailed, and deceived as well uh, in this whole thing, right? So I think from an investor perspective, what, what's happening is uh, people are reaching out. So one of the things that happens quite a bit, which I was really surprised on, uh, is investors started reaching out. They're like, hey, ha I have these portfolio of companies that I've invested in. Majority of those are telling me now that they their business model is going via biopharma. And I was like, okay, uh, well, tell me more. Right, what's going on over there? And and as soon as they start introducing me to some of their portfolio companies, you start realizing that it was never a digital therapeutic company to begin with. It could be a great companion solution and things like that, but not a digital therapeutic for sure. So 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 I was like, then then I start questioning. I was like, okay, what was the reason why you invested in the first place? And again, it goes back to a little bit on misguidance on what a therapeutic is since there is i mean of course dta has has coined some of the definitions has pu uh, pushed that out but you don't see it, those definitions in any kind of a medical dictionary or lexicon or something everybody has an interpretation of what that digital therapeutic would mean so i think they were misguided on those things but they're becoming most of the investors are becoming sharper on decision making i don't think so they are sharp enough to understand what commercialization tactics could be put in place and second if a company is commercializing to have a little bit more faith to see that okay let's support these companies and 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 it's it's unfortunately giving the negative effect where there is so much mistrust in the companies who are even doing well that investors are not funding those companies now 
because of the because and and I would be the first person to blame myself because I'm part of the market who creates these definitions, who was able to sign some of these deals and also represent these companies. But uh, we, we haven't done a very smart and a good job on on preparing the market for that. So with that, in, in your wildest dreams, what's something DTX will be able to do in the future that it can't do today other than get reimbursed? <laughs> uh, I, I would love so so look I, I moved to Andorra which is a really small tiny country which most of the people don't even know and the reason why they know it is if they've come here for skiing or cycling right other than that you don't really know Andorra my my wildest dream but it's it's surprising how far behind they are even if they are in western Europe my wildest dream would be that I go unfortunately I go to a, for a doctor's visit and they find out something and the first preference of treatment for them instead of a pill would be a digital therapeutic for me. That would be my, and it's a very functional kind of a dream. It's not uh, the, the blue sky scenario that most of the people would think and talk about, but the most functional thing for me would be on the other side, somebody says, hey, before we put, before we put you on a pill, why don't you try this solution? See if it works. If it doesn't, it will at least give us the data that is required for you to put a, uh, to put you on a specific therapy that may potentially work. That would be that scenario for Mitch where I would feel really happy and sad at the same time, happy because they're prescribing me a digital therapeutic, sad because they have to prescribe me a digital therapeutic. Well, and I think like baked into that, that vision is this idea that, you know, there are probably digital solutions for anything already but do they work right so it's like that sort of to have that level of patient and physician trust in the digital products where they would be the frontline treatment right so it's like there's a dream of accessibility to patients but there's also a dream of those patients being able to trust that thing is going to help them or has a chance of helping them and the trust that the doctor would be willing to give it to a patient we have a a, a ways to go but i agree that I mean, that's a, that's, that, I, that will happen. It's just a question of how long it will take us to get there. Absolutely. No, but what you mentioned is, is interesting, but at the same time, how do we define trust in healthcare, right? Uh, It's, uh, I mean, uh, look, pharmaceutical companies have been, uh, have been manufacturing at a certain stage in time, researching and creating, bringing new molecules to the market. If we go out on the street right now, you will still have a 50-50 hit on if they trust that or they don't trust that. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think trust is this loaded gun, which everybody decides to use it the way way they want to. Um, The the guardrails that have been put, let's say, at least on the European side and also within FDA is uh, the way we dissect trust is let's make sure that the solution that is created is safe for everyone. And that's where MDR comes into play, right? Uh, Let's make sure that your data is not getting sabotaged or used against you in certain way. That's where some of the GDPR and the European health data space uh, policies come into play. Uh, Consents and uh, the right to withdrawal of all the information and things like that. This is how our society is, or our system is using trust in order to bake trust into our minds, right? has that has that helped in any way? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, it is 
for me, the hygiene factor that needs to be put in place in order to ensure that you put anything and everything that is tested for uh, for for individuals that is that has a claim that is going to cure you or move you from A to B in your in your treatment journey. But trust, I think we still believe in the human aspect of things where an individual who has tested it, bought into that idea, is now advocating it and making sure that more people try it at least and gain that experience. That hasn't that human uh, level of advocacy happened hasn't happened yet. So yes, digital therapeutics. Look, you, you know, I'm all for it. We need to make that effort on the human side as well, so that it translates very well into what how how this can be accomplished, right? Well said, and we're out of time. So thank you very wow. much, Anish. Um, I know I told you we would talk a lot and I it would go, go fast. <laughs> I know, me too. And we shall in another Absolutely. venue. Absolutely. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been DTX Equals, and we're out.